When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this podcast. This is episode 37. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined all by myself with just me and Jonathan in Mississauga, Ontario. All by ourselves. <laughs> Do wanna be. Wasn't that um, that same guy again? That same we, guy again. That Nielsen guy, Harry Nielsen. Does Harry Nielsen do that song? Harry Nielsen did that song. Oh my god! Told you he was prolific. He really, really was. Mm. Well, it's like it's a two-parter. You know, well, it's kind of a. It was a two-parter Orville. It was a two-parter sort of. You know, search for Spock. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a seven-part search for Spock. Well. Yeah, but he was only on really two of them, right? So yeah, well they found I mean, they found him. That's good. They found him. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's some interesting twists and turns in this this plot today. I kind of I kind of have a few questions. Yeah. Have a few questions. Well, we'll discuss. Strap in, folks. We're gonna we're gonna do some fact checking. We're gonna do some headlines. We're gonna get to the good stuff. Don't just lots lots of the jam packed podcast this week. Oh wait, I gotta put uh, what I got on the watch list. What we don't have uh, is a Jaime Lopez. We don't have a Jaime Lopez. It's funny. It's, <laughs> I was uh, I was playing around with. Uh, uh, a um, friend of ours, another podcaster, was telling us about this service, and I can't remember the name of it because of the TEMI, I think, mm-hmm. that does, I think it's machine learning or machine powered um, transcriptions of podcasts. Oh, okay. You, you, it takes like eight minutes to go through like an hour of, of podcast, and it's like six cents a minute or something ridiculous. So it's like super cheap or 10 cents a minute, I think. Hmm. Um, so, like, you know, like, uh, is that right? 10 cents a minute? Yeah, so 60 minutes would be six bucks. Yeah. Um, that, that's math. I, yeah. <laughs> so I did it, and, and it's, it's it must have done Jaime like it's spelt Jamie right yeah, I guess yeah that all the time but but you know it's pronounced Jaime or the, even the A part at the end is not quite an A but um, you should see all the variations that that comes through the the translations whenever we say his name right or he says his name or whatever yeah I'd be curious to hear how it translates some of those Star Trek names were thrown out there too well I, I didn't I did uh, I did um, oh, uh, Morgan's Code I yeah. didn't do I didn't do one of our shows yeah that would be crazy if we did this right yeah you'd get some really interesting results I'm sure yeah yeah anyway. Um, um, maybe I'll do it one day for, for laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, so a fact check. I guess I'll dig in because most of these are mine. Mm-hmm. So I was talking about after Trek last last year during season one. They did a, a thing like, you know, like the Walking Dead after the, uh, the Talking Dead. Or I think I think that um, after Black was how this thing started, if I'm not mistaken. That was for Orphan Black. It started on, on our own space channel. Um, and it kind of took off and went viral and blah, blah, blah. So all the other, you know, shows are doing it. So that's what, how Talking Dead came up uh, and and followed up with, um, uh, what's his name, Chris? Hardwick. 
Chris Hardwick on uh, on the AMC channel. Um, but Matt Mira, who actually I think I think Matt Mira and Chris Hardwick do a podcast together, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, or no, he does a podcast with somebody else. But um, he was the host of After Track last year, and uh, it was mildly entertaining. Um, you know, you got to see the people from from the show on um, talking about it, obviously. But uh, anyway, they're not doing it this year. It seems I haven't seen it anywhere, and Jaime said he didn't see it on CBS All Access at all. So hmm. I don't know if he even saw it last year. So I think I was the only one watching it. Yeah, no, I, I didn't uh, didn't make a habit of that one. I I do know Matt uh, does. Um he does the Nerdist podcast. Yeah, that's that's Chris Hardwick podcast, isn't it? Well, Chris doesn't do it anymore. Oh, oh, I see. He took over. I, I knew there was a connection. Yeah, and he's also um, he does. Uh, oh, what's the other one? He does one with um, what's his name, uh, Kevin Smith. He does um, talk salad and scrambled eggs. I think is what they call it. it really? Oh, really? Huh. Um, How many podcasts does Kevin Smith do? Uh, oh, too many. Like a, a great number. Hmm. Talk Salad Very and Scrambled Eggs is, uh, they, they, they do uh, recaps of episodes of Frasier. Frasier, okay. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, that's the name of the song or whatever. Like yeah. Frasier, or not, what's his name? <clears throat> Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer sings at the end, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Anyway, back to the fact check. Um, at one point you said that, uh, I think it was you who was doing the recap last year, last week, you just said that um, they were told to go back to Discovery. In fact, they were told to go back to Starbase 4, uh, or Starbase something or other that was only four light years away. Or, to, sorry, told Burnham to go back, because um, it would not make sense for her to go back to Discovery. Um, another bit of fact check, this is from last year. We talked about Michelle Yeoh. Uh, somebody had, you know, grabbed Michelle Yeoh by, from behind, and she raised up her leg and it, oh, it was Lorca I believe right and she kicked yep. him yep. and and I said it looked fake looked looked totally like a, a Muppet leg and then I was cruising around on Reddit last week or after we talked last week on the homepage where as what Harmony said it was a hot mess or whatever yes or something to that effect but I saw a, a a young lady in a in a in a pub or you know dance club or whatever with a guy behind her and she was you know enticing her by by doing the Muppet leg trick so yeah that's why I put not safe not safe for work here so not I'll safe for work yeah yeah, we'll look that one up. Do, do you search Muppet leg? Is that how you get to that one? No, no, no. It's just, it was just I just happened to see this girl and she was like lifting her leg up and it ended up in the same position as as Michelle Yeoh's leg, you know, straight up. So you now know. you believe you Michelle you believe that Michelle Yeoh's. Uh, well, I believe it's a move that a woman can make. Okay, it, 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 it totally looked fake before. You know, like it was sort of like a gold member with his, his <laughs> Muppet legs in in the yeah the second Austin Power movie. Yeah. Anyway, um, you did mention Dagger of the Mind. I did mention Dagger of the Mind. We talked about the actor uh, Morgan Woodward, I believe, who passed away last, you know, last just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the name of the show was Dagger of the Mind, and that was the show. That was the TV show that I was talking about with Spock and uh, Kirk and Spock end up on the planet and mm-hmm. they get duped into. And it was a prison prison planet, a penal colony of some type, I think. Right. Yep. So yeah, we did mention that in the after. You mentioned that in the after show, but um, I interesting that the, so here's here's where I, where I kind of the timelines kind of got. Up for me was because yes, last week when we were talking about it, um, Jaime had said, you know, how can they go to Talos Four? It's supposed to be restricted space and all that kind of stuff. They didn't say anything about that in, la- in the episode last week, and I was under the impression that all of this stuff that this Star Trek Discovery is doing it takes place before, like ten years before uh, the Enterprise, before, before before Kirk takes over the Enterprise, right? Um, so I didn't think there was a penalty for going to Talos Four because in, in my comment here I said the cage hasn't happened yet, and yet today. 
dun, dun, dun. We find out that, in fact, the cage has happened. Oh, now you're, you're correcting me. So <laughs> real-time follow-up, folks. The, the this fact check has been fact-checked again. The cage takes place 13 years before the first season of Star Trek. So there you go. So, yeah, so, in fact, it, it did happen before. So forget everything I just said. <laughs> so I didn't mean to kabong you in the middle of it. I really was tempted to let you just go through the whole thing and then do it. But uh, I okay. thought we'd do some real-time fact-check. So, yeah, actually, it was just... Uh, uh, as I was watching tonight's episode, obviously tonight's episode starts with a little recap of the famous Star Trek pilot cage, episode, yeah. The Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that got me sort of going down the rabbit hole during commercial breaks tonight. So I uh, was reading up on The Cage and sort of how it fits into the timeline. And yes, apparently it's set three years before uh, the um, events of Discovery. So therefore, all that stuff where uh, Pike and Spock go down to the planet and they discover it and it gets banned and you can't go there anymore. That all happened uh, in the past for Discovery. So, right, as, Well, as we find out in the show. As, right? we, as we do, so yes. You'll, you'll stay tuned. We'll, we'll explain later. Yes. Um, but uh, So I, I have a question, though. So star date, right? You know how they always rattle off star dates and you're supposed to be able to put together things by that. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know, are star dates like equivalent to Earth years? Uh, I don't know how those work, I'll be honest. I, and I've, it, I must admit, as a, as a, as a long-time Trek fan, I really should have figured it out by now, but I don't know how they work those out it's probably some complex math with you know if you, is it, uh, if you go online there's actually a star date calculator so you can actually figure out like what the star date is and stuff so what is today's date in star date star date calculator look at this stuff there's a term that matt uh, matt smith says let me see matt smith I'm doing real-time follow-up here um doctor who I, it's one of my favorite expressions by him and of course like why can't i remember it i don't know complicated mass oh it's coming up quite a bit here okay so i've done the calculations and i can tell you that right now we are recording tonight's episode of Spockcast. We should at, start doing this from now on. At stardate 96781.56. I would do the Jeopardy music right now, but it's not a good day for that. Mm-hmm. Stardate 96781. Did they say the dot? 0.51? I think they say point. Point? Yeah. Point. Okay. Welcome to Spockcast. This is... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Spockcast. This is... An, uh, 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 Welcome to Spockcast. It's... it's no, I can't... I have to like, think about this. Welcome to Spockcast. It's 96781.56, otherwise known as episode 37. <laughs> well, that's the time we're recording episode 37 anyways. Yeah. Well, so there you go. Yeah. Now you know why I, why I did that. All right. So um, Pearl yes. is directed and created and written by Kirsten Lester, which we talked. And it's based, based on her experience in the male-dominated world of animation, which is kind of interesting because we're recording this one day before International Women's Day, and it'll come out two days after International Women's Day. But um, interesting that, that you know, Know, uh, this parallels a lot of you know work uh, businesses. I mean, now like in the world of, of um, women in technology, women in you know leadership positions, women in uh, developing applications, writing you know websites and code and iPhone apps and stuff. Like that. There's a, there's a, a, a shortage of women when in fact women used to dominate the, the landscape hmm. of um, of uh, computer science and stuff like that. So, but interesting that uh, interesting but not interesting that the world of animation was also a male dominated world as well, which is what Pearl is about. Hmm. Which we talked about last week it was my watch list item i think mm-hmm. um all right well i guess we'll move on to the headlines so what do you got there jonathan well it's been a busy week so we got news this week that uh arrow the first of the uh, dc uh shows on the cw is coming to an end hmm. they have announced that uh season eight will be the final season that will be airing this fall and it will only be a 10 episode season so we speculated uh when they did the 
teaser for the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, storyline that they did as the part of the big crossover this year with um, Supergirl and the Flash. We sort of speculated that, you know, maybe this is going to mean, you know, kaput for some of these characters and what, what could this mean? And uh, maybe we got our first little answer to this, that maybe hmm. this is this is not just the end of the series, but the end of Oliver Queen. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw a teaser on about the fact that he's been in jail or something and he's no longer the Arrow or something like that. Yeah, that was the beginning of the season. He uh, he turned himself in at the end of the last season. Spoilers, obviously, for anybody who hasn't followed along the show. But yeah, he I turned himself... I have been watching it. You just wrecked it for me. He has Sorry. turned himself in uh, to, the, to the authorities and confessed to being the Green Arrow at the end of last season. He was sent to prison uh, where he spent um, a good chunk of the first half of the season before finally uh, being released. So uh, then he has started working uh, not as a vigilante, but he's actually working for law enforcement. He's now working with the, the cops, uh, helping stop crimes and stuff. So I was going to say, isn't he like the Green Green Hornet where, you know, it's a person who solves crimes and whatever and defeats bad guys, but is seen by the police as, as a fugitive and that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. He's he's a vigilante. He's, he's a, vigilante, you know, outside yeah. the law for sure. Um, but as the series has progressed, he's gone from being sort of, you know, uh, now now a known identity. People know that he's the, he's the Green Arrow. And so, yeah, that, that was how he ended up getting arrested and convicted because they had these anti-vigilante laws and he broke them. And so he got sent to, to prison uh, in a long and complex storyline this year. He finally got released from prison and then he went to work for the cops so that he wouldn't be a vigilante anymore. He's actually a law enforcer. So. But there's a new Green Arrow. Yes, there is. There is a new Green Arrow in town. And uh, I will not spoil how that all plays out. But yes, there is another. There is another. All right. Yeah, this next one, this next story is kind of interesting. I saw a bit of this. Yeah. So last week we talked about uh, the first um, real trailer for the new X-Men movie, Dark Phoenix. And we were talking about, you know, sort of what we saw and we, you know, broke down a little bit and we didn't really touch on this point, but uh, it sort of broke out the next day that um, what we actually saw, which looked like it might have just been a little, you know, foreboding in the uh, in the trailer. There's a scene where we see um, Dark Phoenix, played by Sophie Turner, interacting with Mystique is Jennifer Lawrence's long standing character from these uh, these last three and now into the fourth uh, uh, X-Men movie, it, the scene looks like we see uh, Dark Phoenix kill Mystique. But in the, you know, you think to yourself, well, they're not going to show that as a real thing in a trailer. That would just be silly. But sure enough, the next day, Entertainment Weekly did an interview with well, Simon. Well, also cut to a funeral shortly right after that scene. They, too, they right? did, absolutely. And so so the next day, Entertainment Weekly talked to Simon Kimberg, who's the director, and he said, oh, no, that's, she dies. Uh, she's dead. And, you know, I wanted this to you know, really be impactful. And I wanted to, you know, shock people. And I wanted people to know that, like, you know, everything's on the line in this thing by showing that right up front in the trailer, which is, I, I can you ever remember anything like that in a, in a trailer no. being like, I, I can't recall anything that big ever being spoiled before. No, maybe Bruce Wayne's parents, but no. Yeah. But I mean, like, again, this is, um, yeah, like what a, what a ballsy move to, to really put that right out there. And, and again, we, we speculated last week that, you know, this is probably the last Fox uh, X-Men movie and therefore maybe they'll pull out all the stops because they can. Um, oh, I see, right, yeah. <laughs> to wreck the whole universe for them. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, clearly, you know, if the X-Men characters are going back to Disney, they will reincorporate them into their universe, into their Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they probably will recast everybody anyways. So in this iteration, they can kind of do whatever they want. And so, you know, again, 
it it seems like a bit of a crazy thing to kill off a very popular character played by one of the hottest uh you know most popular actresses in hollywood in a trailer yeah well she'll come back as number one in the next iteration of star trek <laughs> yeah who knows who knows <laughs> but yeah it was it was a strange it's a strange pull and like i say i i've never seen the like i've never i have never heard of anything like that happening that kind of reveal and and again it wasn't like the last trailer two days before it came out this was like you know the movie's not coming out for another you know, little while too like that's a lot to chew on it's true so all the jennifer lawrence fans don't need to bother going to see the movie no i guess i guess unless they want to see a yeah. funeral of her no well it sounds like from the trailer the way the trailer's mixed it's kind of early in the story and it's also going to affect um uh professor x and um magneto um, yeah fast magneto fast i was gonna say Man- magneto i don't know why yeah but um yeah magneto um michael fassbender's character because they both have a thing for mystique right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting yeah. yeah i mean it's it's an interesting sort of concept the whole the idea of dark phoenix because you know i i, I like the way they do it with uh, with the original guys too with patrick stewart and, and um Monica jensen right yep um just sort of the get out of my head kind of thing you know i think that's what she sort of says in the trailer if i'm not mistaken too right um yeah or yeah because it's kind of you know it sort it sort of shows here that that you know and maybe this is sort of the creepy me too sort of kind of thing happening where um professor x is you know um miguel mccalroy mccalroy mcavoy mcavoy is um is you know meets her as a young girl and starts to try to control her right because mm-hmm. he can sort of see the potential yeah and then maybe this is this is payback time i, I mean i don't know I, I think she doesn't um doesn't isn't the canon that she gets affected by radiation or something like that or yeah. something happens to her that turns into dark phoenix right yeah so uh well there's a couple of different interpretations the original comic book was that yes she was basically she was piloting a shuttle back through the earth's atmosphere um she basically to keep everybody else alive she took the hit she was gonna you know basically expose herself to deadly radiation and die but this sort of force outer space force that we don't know about called the phoenix basically merged with her and saved her life um they retro uh, uh fitted that one for another storyline years later uh, obviously that story plays out with phoenix has great powers eventually she gets corrupted eventually she goes mad and eventually she uh dies um and then later on they brought her back by saying oh actually the phoenix was a completely separate entity Jean gray actually uh was you know preserved in a cocoon at the bottom of uh of the you know hudson river for a while healing while the phoenix actually like replicated her body and and that was something completely different uh and then there's been a you know half dozen different phoenix storylines over the years that have sort of weaved in and out of her being the phoenix or not being the phoenix and clones and all kinds of other sort of you know what's it's in doodads over the years for uh of course comic books <laughs> just can't resist a good premise so they just keep bringing those characters back and forth but yeah it's it's okay. been a, a bit a long path cool all right what's uh, next here next up so uh, we talked a few episodes ago about the uh ghostbusters reboot that is being done and uh we got a little little tease from variety.com this week that apparently uh couple of familiar faces may be getting to be the stars of this. So um, we got news here that uh, Carrie Coon, who is from uh, the TV show Fargo, she was um, one of the characters, one of um, the minions in uh, uh, Thanos' minions in the last Avengers movie. 
Um, and she is going to uh, apparently is in talks to be the lead there. Uh, and uh, Finn Wolfhard from uh, Stranger Things is also apparently in discussions to be in this movie. So mm. you know, not a not a bad couple of casting choices. Um, uh, apparently, um, the studio hasn't commented on this, but sources say a story will focus on a single mom and her family, with Coon playing the mom and Wolfhard playing her son. So mm. yeah, off to an interesting start again. I think uh, we're you know we talked about Jason Reitman, obviously is going be writing and directing so uh or co-writing and, and directing so uh yeah it should be should be interesting i like the i like both of those uh performers so that should be should be good yeah i just saw a spoiler spoiler headline here in in on the sidebar here on, on variety about shameless about amy rosen leaving the show yes yes not good not good as a fan of that show not happy no he's uh, one of the more interesting characters on that show i mean the rest of them are like you know they're just like um, accidents we need to have gonna say hot messes yeah hot messes yeah they're, yeah they're all of them are she's probably one of the, she's a hot mess in her own way but uh yeah she's her own worst enemy i think yeah but she's uh one of the stable forces on that show yeah anyway uh so and now we have some lord of the rings stuff coming lord of the rings yes indeed so um i think Jaime mentioned on uh one of our recent episodes that the there have been some teasers for the amazon lord of the rings tv series that's coming uh in a couple of years they're already starting to sort of drip things out through this uh website and through their social media channels so they had posted previously a map that uh, showed Middle Earth and, you know, sort of got people talking about, well, what could this mean? Where, you know, what are we looking at? Um, and so this week they've updated it with uh, a new version of the, the interactive map that they put up. And uh, it confirmed what a lot of people had thought that this is actually going to uh, focus on a specific area, which is the island of Numenor. And it's going to focus on a specific time period, which is the Second Age. Um, so for those who are not um, Tolkien nerds, the age that you're familiar with, The Hobbit, uh, Lord of the Rings, those stories take place in the Third Age. Uh, this, so this is obviously meant to be a prequel. Um, and the events that are being described um, in this age, the, the age actually lasts for about 3,500 years. So there's a lot of stuff to cover in there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see sort of which particular area they focus in on, if they're going to try and keep it somewhat close to the era um, that we see in the Third Age, or if they're going to really go way back and, and dig deep. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of neat to sort of be able to speculate and, and nail down a little bit and maybe go back and do a little reading and sort of see where they could start, you know, uh, mining for material, because uh, it's, it's obviously a very rich tapestry that uh, Tolkien's created, and it'll be interesting to see how they bring that story together. But apparently, mm. we only have to wait till 2021. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's nice to have teasers for things, but yeah keep that in the future everything's in the future yes keep that keep that going yeah yeah um and speaking of uh swords and uh sorcery uh we got our first look at uh first proper look i think at the game of thrones uh season eight this week so we got uh a little teaser earlier this year that was very much just sort of a, a vignette of the stark kids in the crypts below winterfell um it just sort of you know appeared as a scene this is the first time we've seen a trailer that sort of cuts together different scenes that seem to be right from uh, season eight. So a um, couple of interesting things that came out of it. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, Tim, but... I haven't heard about it today, and I, I may have seen part of it, but uh, I didn't quite absorb it all. Was this just came out this week, like yep, a couple just, days ago? Just or? a couple days ago, yeah. So so the, you know, we obviously saw a few... Um, 
a few different, you know, uh, scenes in here that, you know, they sort of spliced together, you know, people looking up into the sky and the dragons flying over and all these different, you know, scenes of characters. So you get a sense of, you know, who's going to be there and what's at stake. And, you know, we get a smirking Circe and, um, you know, my biggest takeaway from watching this was the, the fact that they showed, um, well, what might be considered a spoiler. So at, again, I'll throw spoilers out for season seven of Game of Thrones. If you haven't watched it, seriously, get out from under the rock. But Too bad. Yeah. Um, so at the end... It was two years ago that that was on, right? It was. It was 2017. Yeah. Okay. So, come on, folks. Yeah. So you, you're done. Statute of limitations. Um, so in the final episode, uh, we saw the Night King riding on uh, Viserion, the dead uh, revived ice dragon. And he walked, flew this thing over and he started melting part of the wall uh, so that the forces of the, the dead could start walking and invading Westeros. Um, and when that happened, uh, Tormund and ben, uh, Beric Dondarrion were on the wall. And so we weren't really sure what their fate was because, you know, these are two sort of fan favorite characters. And it, it could have been interpreted that they just got destroyed in that act of, of aggression. I thought they ran to the left. Well, there's a very fleeting scene of them that looks like they may be trying to exit stage left, but it was sort of left vague that maybe that was the end and maybe it wasn't. Uh, but in this trailer, we do get a scene where you see uh, Tormund and Beric, because um, you see Beric's flaming sword and you see uh, Tormund beside him. So we've basically confirmed that they did not, in fact, get smoked by the undead dragon, um, that they are alive. So that's a good takeaway. So there's something, you know, we can, you know, a little bit of a spoiler for the season ahead, but also good news because I think, you know, as I say, a lot of people like those characters. I'm, I'm a fan of Tormund. He's a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, good good to see that they're coming back. Other than that, I you know, it seemed like an awful lot of the same what you'd expect to see, you know, uh, Cersei looking smug and, you know, Arya, you know, watching uh, the troops, you know, marching out of Winterfell, the dragons flying overhead, you know, there wasn't a lot of there there, uh, but mm -hmm. still, uh, you know, can't can't wait. And this is really exciting that this is so close now. Uh, we feel like it's finally going to finally be finished and I can't wait to see how they wrap this up. So very cool. So now you're telling me one of my favorite landmarks is disappearing. Yeah, I threw this one in here. It's 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 sort of a sci-fi news because, well, frankly, you and I have seen more sci-fi movies there than probably anywhere else. But um, so the story came out this week and uh, I'm not sure that it's well, I guess it was the end of last week. I'm not sure if this has come to pass, but um, Scotiabank Theatre is a landmark in Toronto. It is a very big entertainment um, complex uh, downtown, uh, complete with IMAX theater and other uh, theaters in there. We, uh, you and I, have seen plenty of movies in there over the years. It's been around since 1999. Um, there's a story this week that uh, Rio Can, the company that uh, that uh, owns it, is that they're exploring uh, redeveloping the entire complex. So it has not been verified. It is not guaranteed that this is happening. Right. But um, when you think about the size of that structure and where it's located, which is a very central piece and is currently, at the time it was built, it was not, but now is currently surrounded by Condoville uh, as downtown Toronto just becomes Condo Central. Um, if you think about what they could build going north uh, towards the sky there, as opposed to, you know, this, this large building that takes up a block, but really doesn't sit very high, uh, I guess 
guess it makes some some fiscal sense, but uh, yeah, it would be a real shame to lose that because that really is sort of probably the best place to see a movie in the city. Yeah, I mean, I, think so. I mean, we we sort of vary between three or four different theaters that you and I go to 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 watch our sci-fi movies and and yeah. uh, take. Well, it's our- my favorite theater of all. If if I have a choice, I'd rather go there than anywhere else. I mean, admittedly, it is close to my home and close to my work, but um, I like the size of the IMAX theater there. Yep, it's got a very and- impressive IMAX theater. It's and two, it's actually, big, I think. Some big calls, yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, even the other ones are quite good-sized, very comfortable. It's very modern. Again, it was built in 1999, so it's obviously only 20 years old. So it's got, you know, all the modern amenities uh, built in. Um, but been under yeah. construction a lot lately, though, so that may be, that may be why its days are numbered. But, and admittedly, it's in a very, very lucrative, valuable area of the town in terms of real estate, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was sort of... Um, it has sort of changed over the years too because originally it was um you know this sort of landmark theater it was in a complex where they had put in uh one of those like a chapters or an indigo or something it was sort of meant to be the sort of destination and entertainment hub kind of location and it's kind of fallen off from there the, the theater itself is fantastic still but you know now it's like a michael's and some sort of other stores are in there and it's sort of diminished a little bit i think it's like yeah, it's yeah like there's a, so many palladium down there at one point yeah there used know? to be like a yeah there used to be like a palladium in there and now i think it's like a good life fitness and stuff so it's yeah it's it's not quite what it was originally intended to be but uh yeah we'll keep an eye on that one because it would be um it would be sad to lose that theater i think yeah but we got the new amc slash cineplex imax over at neon and dundas too that's true and that one's nice too um yeah but i guess we'll see if they can keep both yeah i haven't been to an imax movie in that one yet I don't think. Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Have to see. Anyway, it's too bad Jaime's not on the show because my my first headline here is from Red Dwarf. I don't know if he's ever seen Red Dwarf. I know I've talked to Tammy about it on on Roundabout FM, and she's never seen it at all. But this is one of my favorite. This is follow up on our Flintstones talk last week. This is my favorite interaction between the cat and uh, and Lest- Lister because they're in space for so long and they're watching the Flintstones and lamenting on how you know attractive they they find Wilma Flintstone after all these. <laughs> Years, you know, watching yeah. her, watching her on TV. Yeah, and uh, you know that the, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for people, but yeah, if you have a chance to watch this trailer here, um, it's it's hilarious. You know, but comparing Wilma and Betty, and you know, and whether or not these two guys are going insane. <laughs> yeah, being in space for so long. Yeah, and clearly they are, but it's awesome and funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. This got the best punchline ever. Yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Um, so following up again on our uh, show last week, we talked about the Oscars, and you guys were saying that uh, you believed that. Um, a film had to be in the theaters for a certain period of time before it would be considered for an Oscar for Best Picture. Or so uh, I found a, um, a link on the Oscars website where they've got general entry category description. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go through this. It has to be forty minutes over forty minutes. Yeah, more than forty minutes long. Yeah, it has to have had its public premiere in a movie theater during the calendar year for which it is nominated. Right. Okay. Uh, it must have premiered in thirty-five millimeter or seventy millimeter film format or in. 24 frame progressive scan digital format Mm -hmm. Uh, and it must have played in an LA County theater for paid admission for seven consecutive days beginning in the appropriate calendar year. That has to be in in Los Angeles County. Has to be in LA County. Yep. Wow. Yep. And that's in order to, uh, to be nominated in any of the feature feature film categories. That's for feature films, obviously, because it's over 40 minutes. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty, um, you could, you know, there's a lot, you can see how a lot of movies get nominated, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, apparently you do have to you do have to show yourself at a theater so we were talking about this in relation
addition to the Netflix uh, um, sort of taking aim at, you know, putting stuff in the theaters very briefly and then putting it on Netflix and trying to corner the market a little bit. In this case, you know, they would have obviously had to meet these criteria to get Roma in the theater uh, for at least a week uh, and make its premiere and everything else. So Yeah, I found I found an older story. I was going to link it in here, too. Yeah, here it is. I got it um, in my history. Uh, that This is uh, a month ago, a story from a month ago, but I think this happened longer ago before that. But apparently Netflix is a member of the Motion Picture Association of America now. So mm-hmm. um, just want to see when they first joined up. Because this the story, like I said, the story is a month old. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the fact that they've joined, you know, basically legitimizes them as as uh, Oscar contenders, as were, right? So yep. plus the, the whole thing about showing that. And that explains why Roma and uh, Buster Scruggs were was in the theater as well as on Netflix at the same time. Yep. Yep. So that's cool. So now we know. Yeah. No. Now we know. Yeah. Speaking of follow up, so you might win some bar trivia on that stuff. That's true. That's true. So um, following up on our follow up, and I think this was way late in the in in the after show. In fact, um, we were talking about Peter Frampton mm-hmm. um, and uh, his farewell tour. So I looked it up, and sure enough, he is coming to Canada, but he's only playing in Montreal. So. Or that's the closest he's playing to us. Um, Boo, Peter Frampton. Well, I mean, he's probably playing in, in like Buffalo or something like that, closer to us. But yeah, I mean, you know, come on, guy. I, I know you. I know you'll never be able to play guitar again. But still, yeah. You, know. <laughs> uh, you never know. Oh. It might be the extended farewell tour. Maybe he'll he'll eventually loop back here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, it's one of those one of those guys I've always wanted to see, but never really got out to see. I mean, and you know, we we didn't really talk much about him last last week. But I mean, like he was one of the he was the roadie. He ran the card game in almost famous mm-hmm. you know which which is funny because you know he was the the time frame that they're talking about was when peter frampton and his bands would have been touring um you know along with led zeppelin and those kind of people that, oh, yeah. that the, and the fictitious band in the almost famous or i can't remember the name of uh hmm. anyway um yeah they that that was it's funny that he played the, the head roadie of the uh of the of the thing i think that was um um what's his name from saturday Night live jimmy kim jimmy jimmy fallon i think it was jimmy fallon's first movie too wasn't it well, now we're just going way into my knowledge of almost famous. I was trying to figure out the name of the band, which hadn't. Uh, oh, Stillwater. Stillwater is the name Stillwater, of the band. Stillwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, uh, I, it's not my deep. But you remember he was they're, they're going in, they're, the planes about to crash, and he starts yelling. He goes, oh, that's right. Gay. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think he had a bad coma over too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So moving on to uh, speaking of bad co- co- bad coma overs, um, not really. But Mark Hamill, here's the story on Mark Hamill that came out uh, this week about doubling down on his complaints about the new Star Wars trilogy. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but in this interview, uh, he's quoted as saying that um, he kind of hoped that, you know, when they talked about having the three of them back, that they would have the three of them on screen at the same time, you know. Um, And so he felt that they killed off uh, Han Solo too quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, you know, then, of course, you know, the tragedy of of Carrie Fisher, but uh, they never really had... You know any kind of quality screen time? He has a scene with uh, with Carrie Fisher, of course, but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, that uh, that's one of the one of the things he you know the three Cavaliers never really got back together. Yeah, I feel like we think we all would have liked to have seen that at some point. I mean, even you know uh, in the second movie where episode eight, I should say, where uh, you know he sort of says you know where's Han, and you know that he sort of finds out what's happened and everything. Um, you do sort of feel that sense of loss of you know it is sad sure. that you know they were clearly friends and clearly you know. Yeah bonded and uh, you do feel like you kind of got cheated a little bit yeah well maybe you'll come back as a blue ghost who knows on solo yeah 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they'll bring Carrie Fisher back as a blue ghost in this last one, too. Well, she's coming back. They've already confirmed that she's going to be in it because they've got footage that they filmed. Um, and yeah. her family's okayed it. So she is coming back. I don't mm. know how they'll reconcile all that, but apparently it's happening. Yeah. Well, no, they do, they do a lot of filming and, and put it in the can and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's our story about uh, Mark Hamill and Star Wars. So, yeah, if you're interested in the story at all, maybe read through it. But that's sort of the gist of what I what I got out of it. So, mm-hmm. all right. So here we are. It's the main part of the show. Woo-hoo. The main. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, um, episode two, uh, episode eight of season two, Star Trek Discovery, if memory serves. And um, yeah. So uh, this is Jaime's turn to take over and uh, do the read. But uh, absolutely, go not, Jaime. Go. He's not here. He's oh, not here. come on. <sighs> So I've got some, you've got some notes. I've got some notes. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just sort of rip through this. Um, yeah. It starts off with previously on Star Trek and they, they, they show um, some, you know, re-rezzed vignettes of the cage episode, which is the first episode where, mm-hmm. where Jeffrey Hunter plays uh, Christopher Pike and uh, with Leonard Nimoy as Spock and Amidjel Barrett as number one. And they go down to, to Talos and, you know, he meets Vina. Yep. And she's basically, uh, I think they get it. This is just Russ call. They, they go down there and they meet, uh, they find this this survivors of a shipwreck, and they have this you know gorgeous daughter Vina, and uh, turns out the Vina is the only real uh, person there. And the Talos uh, collective are you know very good at fooling people. Anyway, that's just that's the cage. But they just sort of go through to sort of establish that there's a connection between Christopher Pike and Vina, and then they immediately v- meld into the scene. You know, melts into or what do you call it? Dissolves into um, being um, handsome Mount as Christopher as um, Christopher Pike. Uh, so yeah, and that's how the the show starts off and then um there's a scene with uh um i believe it's uh it's christopher pike talking to um a bunch of holograms of various people there's a tellerite uh, ab- admiral there's a vulcan admiral and they're uh questioning him about you know burnham and um you know the fact that that according to section 37 burnham no, 31 section 31 sorry i wrote 37 yeah sorry in a row episode 37 section 31 that's the ones all right okay yeah it was so he was he was getting the sort of uh Hey, we know that Section Thirty One has ratted them out. That she's escaped and taken Spock. You have to help us find her. Yeah. So, and you know, he they tell him that that uh, Burnham is ignoring the, the hails, and of course, he sort of says, "Well, why would why wouldn't? Of course, she would. You know, kind of thing, right? She's she's on this mission. Um, and they they you know chastise him, and and you know, the scene moves on. And then we, we flashed over to Giorgio and uh, um, Leland talking to each other, and Giorgio is clearly running uh, Section Thirty one now um and uh i seem to be missing part of my notes here where is the part about what you what you've written down here which is the really are on the other side seems like my my sinking has lost half of my notes that's weird because i had wrote that down as a possible title for the show yeah yeah weird yeah because that whole bit about the where she says you know we're, we're in the um on the other side of the looking glass now aren't we yeah that's right at the very beginning isn't it yeah it's well it's after the so they do the the bit on section 31 where the their admiralty is basically dressing down leland saying hey you screwed up and then we cut to burnham heading down to the planet right and there's the it looks like she's headed towards a black hole right yeah int- interesting though that black hole was the same similar animation as uh christopher nolan christopher nolan yeah yeah inter interstellar interstellar yeah like the, it's just like the, the and i think yeah the same same sort of black hole as that but uh yeah that's because that's missing too like i wrote that down where um uh she says to spock oh that was a test we pick up burnham and spock on the shuttle and 
and Spock is still uh, not his normal self. He's very um, acting very weirdly. So they're headed towards where they expect Talos to be, and it actually looks like they're headed towards a black hole. The ship starts shaking. It looks like they're you know headed towards this thing that's going to destroy them. So Burnham starts you know adjusting course. She's going to take off. Spock basically like knocks her over and and slams the accelerator down. And as they get closer, of course the illusion disappears. It's the Telosians using their illusionary powers to keep people away. Uh, and it turns out to be just the planet that we recognize from, of course, that famous episode, The Cage. Uh, so they head down to the planet, or as they're heading down to the planet, uh, Burnham says, you know, oh, it was just a test. Right. And, and then utters this, you know, the familiar line as we, you know, we're talking about Alice's adventures in, in Wonderland. Uh, we really are on the other side of the looking glass now, aren't we? So right. then we cut back to the ship where, uh, mm-hmm. to the Discovery, that is, where uh, Culber is acting kind of hostile, a little weird. We know from last week that he was having a really tough time adjusting to being alive again after being revived uh, out of the mycelial network. Um, and uh, and Stamets is trying very hard to try and sort of, you know, help him uh, get accustomed to things and walking around and trying to be very supportive. Um, but Culber is kind of not having it. And then as they're walking down through the hallways, they see Ash Tyler, who, of course, killed Culber in an, uh, last season. And so we sort of get this sense of him, you know, bristling and, and acting very not Culber. Like we established, you know, from his personality last season that he's a very uh, kind and gentle man. He's, you know, very sweet. Um, and he's not acting like that at all. So we sort of get this sort of taste of him being sort of off or even more off than last week. Um, cut back to right. Telos. Well, they make, they make eye contact too, just as they get in the elevator. That's too, true. Right? That's true. They give each other a little sort of a dirty look, right? Or a little sort of, oh, I see you. I know you're there. Kind of look, yeah, both yeah. of them. Um, we cut back to the planet and, uh, and as, you know, Burnham lands the shuttle, um, she, you know, opens the door and has a look and then spots a woman walking into the shuttle into the open door behind her and, you know, draws her phaser and sort of says, you know, who the heck are you? And of course it's Vina who we recognize as the young woman from that famous, uh, original Star Trek pilot. Um, she's the woman who was, uh, the lone survivor of the crash there who was uh, rescued and saved by the the locals but was uh, brought back kind of damaged uh, because they didn't really know what humans were supposed to look like. Although, even when you look at their faces, you'd think we'd know that they don't have huge scars on their face. But anyways. um, (laughs) Well, this is where I got confused because I wasn't expecting I was expecting them to go to Talos and sort of be like before the before time. But yeah, clearly no Spock because she started talking to Spock, right? Yeah, so she clearly recognizes him from their previous uh, connection, so we established that was sort of three years previous in their time, um, and so she's in mental connection with the Telosians, of course, who are telepathic, and they basically say, you know, to Michael, we mean you no harm, we know why you're here, bring Spock down to the uh, to the underground where we all live, and we'll have a look at him. So they basically take them down there, and the Telosians make a deal with Burnham that they will help fix Spock's mind uh, because they they identify that it is fracturing quickly and and he won't survive. Um, but in exchange for that, they want access to uh, her childhood memories. They want to see this incident that fractured their relationship. It's a strange thing to request. That was sort of my takeaway from this was that's a very strange and specific thing to request. They could 
wouldn't have been like, show us what it's like on the Mirror Universe or any of the other, you know, adventures she's been on. They were like, no, that's the thing. Show us how you charge your electric car, like something useful, you know? Yeah, it seemed like a very uh, convenient plot contrivance. But uh, anyways, so uh, we get a a chance to look inside of Spock's memories. We see uh, him finally explain where he did see the Red Angel for the first time. um, And he confesses that it was actually... uh, we knew that it from the previous a previous episode that um, he had seen the Red Angel when Michael had disappeared and run away from home on Vulcan. But what he tells uh, her in this sort of probe into his mind is that he actually the Red Angel basically showed him a vision of her death, and right. so yep. he ran to his parents and basically said, "This is where you'll find her." And not only did they find her, but they prevented her from being killed by this uh, slavering uh, Vulcan beastie that in in the vision that he saw killed her um so we also in that same stretch see uh so is that the same stretch we see the 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 vision of him in the the not murder oh no that's later on he talks about going to the being transported to a planet far away it led me to a planet far away and then he doesn't mind meld with it right that's right he tries to mind meld with the red angel um and it shows him the future and it shows him a vision of the this attack on humanity, these missiles that basically show up out of nowhere and target all sentient life in the universe and destroy all these very prominent uh, planets. Yeah. So w- was it was it me or were they probe shaped? They did look an awful lot like the probe we saw last week, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they were more like nuclear warheads or something like that because they they show them. You know, they see the, you see it skip past the moon and hit the Earth, and I guess the other planets are probably Vulcan and Romulus or or um, Praetor or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. Uh, it blow. It literally blows the entire planet up, like yeah. from the inside out. Yeah, it's 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 a no mistake, you know, genocide of of these planets. It just kills everything, like blows the planets to smithereens. So he has this vision with it, and it, and it clearly sort of you know cracks his brain a little bit. Um, Spock sort of finally sort of snaps to his. He's sort of you know back to his his normal self a little bit. Uh, he has a funny little interplay with um, Burnham now that he's sort of back to himself. Yeah, and, brother and sister kind of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, brother and sister kind of ribbing where, you know, he sort of makes a little bit of a logical dig at her and she sort of says, you know, uh, makes a crack about his beard. Do you actually think your beard is working? Um, Pretty funny. Yeah, that was the best part where he sort of says, is there actually a question that's worth my time? (laughs) Yeah. And she says, yeah, like how can her first question back to him is, how can I make this conversation easier? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then then she says, he goes, do you have an actual question for me? He goes, yeah. Do do you think the beard is really working? (laughs) Yeah. And he kind of realized because for his beard and goes, oh, I guess. Uh, I, I, I guess I have a beard now. Yeah. Um, so he finally sort of starts breaking it down too that uh, the Red Angel is a person, and he says that when he did the mind melt, a human, in fact, he says. Yeah, well, that's it. When he did the mind melt, he says, "I could tell that it was actually a human inside, but there's a quantum field protecting the suit." So, as had been talked about in previous episodes, it was a temporal um, character who's so coming from the future, and it is a human being. But he says he sort of senses, you know, conflict and and you know. Uh, um, you know, deep loneliness coming from this this person too. So again, still sort of back to last week's discussion that we had was about you know who could it be? Is it someone familiar? Um, so feeding that a little more. Now he says human, so that narrows the list a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how if that if there is a familiar face in that suit. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned, I think there were there was two two episodes with Burnham because 
they come back out and they sort of say, "Do you want to?" See? She says, "I want to see some more." And that's I think that's when you get to the part about him in the in the uh, padded room. Yeah, that's right. So she basically says, "Like you know, thanks for showing me that first part. I need more." So they do another sort of connection with the Telosians and they flash back into Spock's mind, and we see the incident where he's in the medical facility, uh, the psychiatric facility that we've been hearing about all season. Um, Section thirty-one had said that he had murdered three people there. Um, so we flash back to the scene where he is um, drawing sketches of you know what he had seen on the floor of his uh, for lack of a word better word cell the mm-hmm. um, one of the administrators or psychologists comes in and basically says to him hey what you've been drawing here has actually come to pass this these are these these red flashes in the sky you've been having a premonition clearly um, now we're going to turn you over to section 31 because they have some questions for you and he basically says I think not does the neck pinch on her knocks her out smacks the guards around and knocks them out and then escapes and uh you know burnham basically says like you know no no they said you murdered these people and he says did you see a murder here yes uh, in the vision yeah yeah in the vision so you know clearly uh you know not what they were told which again begs the question what is section 31 why are they using the murder you know what what do they have to gain by saying that he was a murderer in this case having had these epiphanies they send a signal uh across time and space using Vina to basically project Which they her. stole from Star Wars The Last Jedi. I yes, yeah. It was, an, it was a little bit of a callback there, wasn't it? So they basically <laughs> have Vina um, through the power of illusion that Telosians possess. They basically project her um, as if she was real, like a, a very vivid uh, projection to uh, Christopher Pike aboard the Discovery where she basically says, you know, I'm real, I'm here, you know, I remember our experiences. It's, an, it's actually kind of a sweet and neat little tie together to that original episode that, you know, that they have thought of each other, that it wasn't just a, a mission that he sort of says, you know, I, th- I think about you a lot and she says the same thing. And, and you know, of course, we know from that episode that they the Telosians basically created a version of Pike for her to be with um, that's an illusion, but still. Um, so she basically says, like, hey, you need to you need to see, see this and then they project a real-time vision of uh, Burnham and Spock where they basically say, hey, uh, we're here. Could you please come and pick us up? They are going to kick the spore drive into gear so that they can rush over to, to, Lo- to Telos to pick them up. And of course, the Discovery's spore drive isn't working and they figure out that it's sabotage. Um, right, yeah. Now, we've sort of gotten the vibe. We knew that from the end of last week that Arium, the um, robotically enhanced uh, officer on the bridge, had been possessed, for lack of a better term, assimilated, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. by the probe. Borged. By, by the probe from the future. Um, so we know that it was probably Arium that did this, but they don't know that. And so uh, Ash gets framed for being the one who has sabotaged the spore drive and that has been secretly communicating, sending out communiques from the ship. By the way, my notes are all here, but they're all scrambled. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's like I'm now finding stuff about the you know some of the things that they said because I wrote all the stuff down, right? Yeah. So what a drag. <laughs> well, he'll sort it out just in time. Yeah. They decide that they're going to try a little trickery themselves. So they basically say, oh, we need to go get the ship repaired. We're going to head for this star base because we're having a problem with our spore drive. Um, and their plan is for them to basically divert and try and go and save Burnham and Spock, retrieve Burnham and Spock um, under the guise of this repair job. So they basically go and they uh, go on this pathway, but are being pursued by Section 31, who I 
I guess are being have been notified, are tracking them somehow. Well, they got this secret, you know, transmissions from somebody on the ship, right? Yeah, I'll, yeah. It's weird though, because again, it clearly it was Arium, but then it's framed to be Ash, and yeah, so it's it's kind of weird. So they end up basically tra- trailing them there and basically say, you know, power down. You guys are caught. You know, you're in trouble. They say, you know, uh, no, we're going to get our people and get out of here. So the Discovery locks on their transporters to pick up Spock and uh, Burnham. And at the same time, the Section 31 ship does the same thing. So they're basically dueling transporters over who's going to get the lock on these people. And they uh, they basically say, you have to let them go. You have to, you know, let Burnham and... or uh, it's Vina basically appears and says to um, Pike, you have to let your friends go. So they end up getting beamed aboard, seemingly beamed aboard the Section 31 ship, which turns tail and takes off. And not before they say, like, oh, you guys have to go turn yourselves in now because you got you're in trouble um but then once the section 31 ship is gone a shuttle shows up and it's basically got the two of them aboard uh because of course what uh was forgotten by leland and the crew of the section 31 ship is that the illusions that are created by the telosians are very powerful and they convince them that they are there even though they're not uh which leads to the great again stolen from jet last jedi <laughs> yeah which again has a very funny uh line where you know burnham basically turns to the illusion of Spock, the illusion of Burnham turns to the illusion of Spock and says, say goodbye, Spock. And Spock says, goodbye, Spock. Uh, which is pretty funny humor for a Vulcan. I knew he was going to say that, though. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, how could you not? Um, if you can't do your best Burns and Allen on a Star Trek episode, you're not trying, but... Um, and so, yeah, they basically turn tail and take off and, uh, are, are, you know, they've got their crew. They're reunited. We finally, after uh, now into our eighth episode here, we finally have everybody together. They're all in Discovery. We've got Spock. We've got Burnham. We've got the whole crew. Everybody's there. And they are now ready for the next chapter of this story. And Giorgio's winning. And Giorgio, uh, of course, yes, she basically yeah. is like, you know, laughing all the way as, you know, she just keeps getting more and more uh, leverage on Leland and Leland keeps getting more and more burned. So she's clearly uh, winning the political power battle in uh, on Section 31. Yeah, it's, in- it's interesting some of the things, observations about the Telosians and that kind of stuff. Is like, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I was checking out some of the actors who were in the show uh, this week. And um, one of the Telosians, the second one, is actually played by a woman. And the original Telosians mm-hmm. in the cage were women um, playing, you know, sort of androgynous characters. But uh, mm-hmm. And they did sort of have the Reebok pump that, that uh, yeah. Jaime was talking about in the heads. They did a little bit, yeah. But they, they do say at one point that material illusion is our only form of defense, which they're explaining the black hole, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was another one interesting thing here. So, um, and they were saying that Spock is experiencing time fluidly, not linearly, which is what the problem is. And, mm-hmm. and when he's, when he meets, uh, Pike at the end, um, at the end of the, in the, the shuttle bay and, you know, he's like, why, why are they after you? What is, why is, what section 31 want with you? And he goes, they want my, they want my memories of the future. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another line that he said too, where, um, he said, um, how is that? I can remember tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's some interesting, really interesting little tastes of what might be to come. Yeah, or, or so much, or, or sort of like explaining that you know the the, the reason why they want to erase, to suck everything out of his brain and you know whatever is to figure out how he can because somehow he's now seeing the future because of this this exchange with the angel, right? So yep. yeah, so it's a really interesting show. Yeah. Um, and the B plot, the 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 Culber and Ash B plot too. We should just sort of wrap that up for uh, for everybody. So um, 
after giving each other a little bit of the hairy eyeball, they uh, we then have another scene where Stamets is trying to uh, make Cobra feel at home by making him his favorite meal and trying to sort of, you know, uh, yeah, make him feel comfortable. And um, we get even more sort of hostility and frustration from Cobra, who sort of says, you know, I know this is my favorite food, but I don't feel that connection to it. I know that, you know, I should be happy, but I'm not. And is sort of, you know, miserable and makes Stamets feel very uncomfortable and very... Um, sort of shocked and frustrated and then of course it boils over later in the episode where uh um, cobra basically walks into the mess hall and picks a fight with ash um and in a surprising turn saru is like let him do it yeah right yeah he basically lets the two of them you know the newly uh aggression uh, aggression enjoying saru basically says you know these two both need it they both need to just get this out and lets the two of them just pummel each other until they literally like stop and they have this sort of interesting exchange where they're like you know i don't even know who i am anymore and uh this cobra basically says i don't know who i am anymore and ash says look who you're talking to like exactly it's it's such a great you know such a a really really poignant uh way to sort of crystallize the the kind of craziness that's gone through both these people's lives the last couple of years right um but yeah it's interesting it's an interesting point too because you know the question of if you clone somebody is it the same person i mean it can't be because you know we're all formed by our memories and our experiences in life, right? And, yep. you know, so the, they go through the, the fact that he's waking up last week and saying, I don't have the scars that I used to have, which is, you know, and so Paul Stamets is expecting him to be, you know, his husband mm-hmm. and uh, Culber's character, or the new Culber, you know, in the sort of sarcastic. Uh, how do you say Socrates? <laughs> you know, in the Socrates type philosophy, it's not the same person, even though it's it, it looks the same, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a replica, and it, it can't be the same. And that's why he's sort of struggling with his. I guess he's got half of his memories, and and uh, well, and he has his he same. has his his memories, but he doesn't have that sense of them being connected to himself, right? Like he can't. His favorite food isn't. His, he just doesn't understand why this would be his favorite food because he doesn't have that memory, right? And mm. um, and he he basically breaks up with with Paul. Stamets at the end because he just sort of says you know you have to let me go and you have to move on and the whole point of like why didn't why did you keep all my stuff and why didn't you know mm-hmm. send, you know he says I would have sent it off to your mom but I wasn't ready kind of thing right mm-hmm. and that sort of starts off the because I mean the beginning of the episode he's sort of saying you know I've been stuck in the lab for like two weeks or whatever and, and he's finally taking him home to their apartment right mm-hmm. and, and clearly this new Culber is not ready for any kind of relationship right yeah and he has that great line at the end where he says that version of me is dead the version that you remember right, of me right. is dead um, yeah, let me go let, let, let me, me go, go yeah so it's it's a really sort of again sort of heartbreaking scene because you know we sort of all think all of us sort of were caught up in that like emotion of oh, oh you know this sort of tragic thing has been undone but it's clearly it's got its own tragedy wound into it right by the way did you recognize the engineer in the in the engineering section when tilly and they try to get the we didn't talk about the fact that they try and get the, the spore drive going and it won't run right and so uh um tilly and this other en- engineer are trying to help you know figure out what's going on did you recognize the actress that was sarah Midditch, wasn't it yeah that's who played arium last last uh season yeah 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 so we kind of wondered what happened to her where'd you go welcome back sarah we're glad you're back so i don't know melissa george i she looks familiar that's the lady who played uh vena mm-hmm. are you familiar with her at all or 
Um, she looks familiar, but I, I don't. I can't say I placed her. Um, maybe I can look her up and. Right, and I mentioned Allison Down is played the the shrink. She's been in a lot of Canadian sci-fi TV shows and stuff like that. Um, what's the one with the bounty hunters? Uh, you know, you know the guy that's uh, that play. He's Ashton. You know, Sean Ashton has a brother, twin brother. Does he? Yeah, they look identical. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, so which one is the Sean Ashton is the X Men guy from the first bunch of movies, right? Um. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> anyway, his brother's in a, in a show about... He was Iceman, right? He was Iceman? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a, a show about body hunters that's been on space for a few years. And um, hmm, I think one of the ladies from... Oh, I know who Melissa George is. Now I know why I recognize her. There we go. She was on Alias. I knew she looked familiar. I was trying to remember from what I had seen her. She's been in a bunch of, she's been in a bunch of movies and a bunch of TV shows over the years in sort of, in sort of different short spurts and lots, lots of different things. But she was on a full, um, she was on a full season, a couple seasons of Alias, which I was a big fan of. Um, right. Yeah, and I thought the Admiral Admiral Patar is played by Tara Nicodemo, apparently. But I, to me, it sounded and looked a little bit like the, the Canadian actress Zoe Palmer, who played the um, the android on Dark Matter, but wasn't wasn't to be, mm. wasn't to be. Yeah, and there was a, a little teaser. So I know um, I I looked up online the uh, the next week on Discovery thing, and uh, we get a little glimpse of. Uh, uh, Admiral Cornwell saying welcome to Section 31 headquarters. So we're, mm. we're going to get a look at sort of what that is, which again I think is a little more foundation laying for the uh, Georgia series. Is it really, or is it just a Telosian illusion? Yeah, you'll you'll be wondering through the whole year now whether it's a Telosian <laughs> illusion. That'll be the write-off. Um, but yeah, it'll be I think a little more uh, foundation building for the uh, the Georgia series that we've got rumored is, right, uh, right. is coming too. And then there was a scene where uh, it looks like Arium finally goes full uh, evil data a la first contact oh, really? and uh, mm. and starts going after the crew so um yeah nice. some of these storylines again are starting to sort of pace forward um again i think uh we only 14 episodes of the season we're through eight so you know yeah it's it's starting to come to a head a little bit and as i say we finally got everybody on the same ship so that'll be good to see that start mm-hmm. to come together well uh, we're not missing we're missing number one though well i, I don't expect we're going to see her because you'd think she would be somewhere trying to get the enterprise uh That's true, out of mothballs yeah yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, um, I guess I can't avoid it. But look, should we talk about the Orville now? <laughs> we, we can talk about the Orville now. We we obviously we're uh, we're going to recap the last two episodes, which was a two parter, um, yeah. and we're going to do this without Jaime's presence to mitigate our our feelings about it. So um, oh, yeah. So it's revenge. Revenge is a meal best served cold. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we'll throw down our thoughts and we'll ask for Jaime to to weigh in next week. But sure. uh, yeah. So we're we're talking about episodes uh, eight and nine of season to identity part one and two mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll give a quick little little i'll give the the cole's notes version recap here so basically yeah. the premise is that uh isaac the uh robotic life form um collapses the crew decides to rush him back to his people even though it's been established that the the people from kalon are um not welcoming to outsiders they fly him back in there they get a look at his city um and his planet 
planet um, and they're told while they're there like make nice with these people we could really use their help in fighting against the krill um, so Isaac's people you know flip the switch turn him back on uh, but they established that he was turned off because his mission is complete his mission was to go be part of the union gather information on on the union and figure out whether or not uh, they were worthy of you know being involved with them basically um, so as that episode pro- progresses we sort of get a little more mystery and you know maybe this you know the, the this planet isn't everything it seems eventually uh, Ty the daughter uh, doctor's son uh, runs away he ends up going uh, underground underneath this big city of uh, Kalon and discovers this chamber full of bones uh, when they go down to rescue him they find this room full of bones it turns out that the robots had basically committed genocide and killed every living being on their planet but like a thousand years ago but yeah like ancient history but they, and they had, kept the bones for a thousand years yes those clearly are some, that's what you do with bones you tough, keep them for a thousand years. tough tough bones um so when this is discovered of course the uh the captain and the crew are all like well it's a, it's our clue it's time to go it's been a pleasure and we're out of here uh but of course the kalons uh reveal their robo laser heads where they Ooh. they crack open their heads and have these laser guns inside and say you know for lack of a better term you will be assimilated um the kalons take over the orville and basically assemble uh, an armada and are headed for earth wherein they plan on uh um you know wiping stuff wiping out the uh the humans so that's our big dun 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 you know uh cliffhanger from the first episode of the second um all things being equal i thought it was not bad it was probably the episode i enjoyed the most so far this season that first Mm -hmm. part um it was not unpredictable not not unpredictable but also pretty well done um and then there had to be a twist right there had to be a twist somewhere in there it was too idyllic yeah I mean, it was. It should like we, we obviously knew going in that it was a two-parter, so we knew that it wasn't going to be an easy ride, no matter how it played out. But um, the fact that they were basically like, we thought these people were going to become our allies, and they become our enemies. You know, obviously that's a, a good um, you know s- storyline. You know, not a, not a unfamiliar trope, but uh, but but good. It was done well. Right. So we pick up season or season two, episode two of this, part two of this, and um, they have basically taken over the Orville. They've herded everybody down to one of the cargo bays and they're holding them prisoner there um the kalons reveal their plan they plan on uh flying to earth killing everybody and then they're systematically going to eradicate all organic life in the galaxy because um they, that's what you do they they are they feel like if they don't those people will eventually rise up and try and subjugate them which ties back into that whole uh discovery episode from a couple of weeks ago too with the you know we have to keep them down because otherwise they'll come back and get us uh principle of the the um, Batu Batu Babu ba- yeah what you mean um, the, with Saru's people being subjugated Kalar, yeah yeah um, seemed a little bit it's funny how these two shows sort of keep echoing each other at times but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah so because um, the writers are outside in the back smoking together yeah clearly clearly Have these guys smoke. are on speed dial but um, so basically the Kalons say like hey if anybody tries to you know screw with us we're going to kill everybody um, they grab uh ed and the bridge crew and basically tried to put on the show of like you know hey you guys need to get us through the front door so we don't have to fight our way there um they figure out that they're using you know codes to try and tip off the uh the other union ships so of course they blow up the other union ships um and then in order to exact you know a punishment on the captain they 
throw another crew member at an airlock and basically say, you know, every time you do this kind of thing, we're going to start, you know, murdering more people. We don't really care about you guys, and we don't care how many, how few people, you know, takes to get the ship to where we need it to go. Um, <laughs> I had a note here about P corner. They establish Gordon establishes yeah, the, the yeah. P corner mm-hmm. on that. That was pretty funny. Um, so Kelly has the idea. The first officer Kelly has the idea that uh, you know if they can figure out a way to to get off the ship, maybe they could contact the krill because as an organic life form they also are on the line so maybe that's a way they could do that uh yafit the gelatinous crew member uh comes into play so he basically is going to go in and uh and uh create a distraction to help them escape um so kelly and gordon get on a shuttle they head off uh they barely make it out alive uh one of the sh- yeah again how do they get how do they get out in in the shuttle and not get detected that's just another plot hole yeah it's a bit of a plot hole but they get out um <laughs> They get a signal out. Uh, sorry, they, they get out, um, and Ty, the doctor's son, and Yafit volunteer to try and get a signal out to warn the uh, to warn Earth, to warn the Union right, yeah. that they're coming. They do manage to do that, but then they get caught, and Yafit um, basically goes inside one of these uh, Kalons and disables him, but also gets kind of barbecued at the same time. He lives, but he he does not look good. Kelly and Gordon head towards Krill Space. They're being pursued by the Kalon. They get there and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And the Kalon attack. Uh, the Krill catch them. The Kalon attack them. Then the the Krill are basically convinced. Yeah, we okay. We you know. We, we must be on the same side. Um, in order to punish them for uh, Yafit and Ty's uh, trying to get the signal out, uh, they bring Isaac up to the captain's ready room, basically, and say, uh, we need you to murder this child because, you know, we're, we're starting to be a little worried about you and your behavior and your defense of these people. And also this child needs to be punished for, for doing this. Uh, which brings us to the inevitable turn where, of course, uh, Isaac can't bring himself to kill Ty because he does have, for lack of a better term, feelings for him. He rips the head off of the leader of the, the Kalons, kills a couple more of them, um, and then helps Ty to activate an EMP. And the EMP basically takes out all the Kalons aboard the Orville so that they can take back the ship. Uh, this leads us to the inevitable battle where, of course, the Kalons, uh, arrive in, uh, I don't know what they call it, Sector 001. They arrive at Earth and all the Union ships are waiting for them there. Um, I found this battle extremely confusing because I felt like all the Union ships looked the same. So I really couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't really be like, oh, that one's this one and this one's that. They all, they all look like the Orville. It just, I found that really hard to follow. I know how I feel watching just about every movie there is. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, again, battle's not going great for the uh, Union forces. It's starting to look bad. Um, you know, Ed basically says, like, you know, I'm going to ram them, suicide mission kind of time. And, of course, just in the nick of time, the Krill show up with uh, Gordon and Kelly and help turn the tide of the battle. Uh, of course, they, you know, drive off the remaining Kalons who, you know, turn tail and run. There's this, you know, little moment between uh, uh, Mercer and um, and the leader of the, of the Krill, who basically says, you know, Avis, you know, brought us together. Maybe we'll see what the future 
hold. So maybe there's a possibility of peace down the road for these these two opposing sides. Um, and of course, you know, this leads to the inevitable, you know, can is Isaac dead? Are all these, you know, did the MP kill everybody? Um, they bring Isaac back because Yafet had been inside one and he so he goes in and fixes him. Um, so, of course, Isaac's back to life. And then the discussion becomes, well, Isaac betrayed us in the first episode. Now what do we do with them? Ed and Kelly go to bat for him and say, actually, we'd like to keep him around. So right, they right. basically go to the Admiral. The Admiral says, fine, you can keep him. And so everything's basically back to the status quo at the end of this episode. But you got to feed him and you got to walk him. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? You got to clean up after him. Um, yeah. So, you know, in, in typical retro Star Trek fashion, uh, two episodes, the lasting uh, outcome is that essentially Isaac can't go home again and uh, his people are now the enemy and the Krill are a somewhat less fearsome enemy now slash potential ally down the road. Um, not It also means that next week everything resets, so Isaac will be sitting back at the science station again. And Yeah, they right. can go back to a, a fairly status quo. The show yeah. hasn't shown a lot of sort of uh, storytelling evolution of characters and stuff like that. A little bit. We did follow, you know, the Doctor yeah. Yeah. and Isaac sort of hooking up and Ed and Kelly back on and again and off again and stuff. So there has been a little bit of progression of the characters over the first, you know, season and a half. Um, yeah, in the end, I don't know. It, it felt like, uh, what's the Shakespeare? line sound and fury signifying nothing like it was there was a lot of you know it was entertaining and stuff but it really it didn't have a lot of deep meaning or substance to it i i did enjoy it it was probably the best by far episodes this year the two of them um i would have liked if i'd been surprised at any point like there wasn't as i said it just the word inevitable kept popping into my head was like oh inevitably this will happen inevitably that happened none of that was surprising so it was a little bit formulaic but but uh, definitely a step forward from you know obviously i think you and i both agree that the first few episodes of the season have not been quite uh, good at all. So I feel like it was a step forward, but then um, I can't say that this was like, you know, oh my God, now I'm like completely in and I got to watch this every week. It did, it did not engender those feelings in me at all. What about you? No. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, they could, they could, if you think about it from a, from a vehicle, the whole idea of Isaac being a sleeper agent and, and, you know, surprising them all this way, they could, they could, you know, carry that story on, but it's sounds like next week he's going to be sitting back at the science station and they'll have forgot it ever happened you know it's kind of like that that episode where um yeah, Charlize Charlize Theron was on with the mm-hmm. time traveling thing and Mercer just kind of drops it in his drawer and and we think maybe it'll come back in the future and he'll come back in the future yeah it'll 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 appear in the future but yeah I, I don't know is you know I find I find the show a bit sterile in a, in a lot of ways like it doesn't doesn't have very many rough edges right so mm-hmm. um you know and you kind of sort of need those like I mean, if you think about like what they do in Discovery when they went down to that planet with the the people that were rescued and the, you know the the mother who runs the the whole world and they've got that guy in the basement with all the toys you know who's you know the guardian of of the the actual past right. Mm-hmm. I mean that sort of has loose ends to it. Like it's it's not perfect. I mean it looks idyllic when they go there and they find this you know community, but you know there's 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 dark corners in that basement, right? Um, there doesn't seem to be any dark corners. In fact, even in in this episode of Discovery, when uh, Culber loses his temper and starts you know trashing the apartment, um, there's a scene where the two of them are 
and talking and all these little floating Roombas come in and start cleaning up after them. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's right. You know, because it, it kind of answers my question, like, how do they keep these places so clean, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, space Roombas. You know, no, huh? Space Roombas. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, you, I, you've seen the International Space Station, you know, there's, there's stuff Velcroed to the walls, but like, you know, it's not the, the most tidy place, right? You yeah. Know? Yeah. After umpteen years of being up, spa- up in space. So um, it just kind of, you know, it's weird to, it's funny that you were talking about the space battle, right? Where mm. I, I get tired of these space battles. I mean, yeah, you know, I, admittedly, you know, when I was younger, I probably would have watched them a bit more. And I think it, movies like the uh, Transformers have sort of gotten me tired of all these sort of, you know, special effects, 3D major battles, you know, um, what do we call them? Donnie Brooks, you know, in, in mm-hmm. terms of movies, right? Um, well, it's rare that they're done well. Often it's just, tilts, it's yeah. just cacophony, right? It just becomes a visual overload and a sound overload. The only one that really stands out for me as a, a memorable space battle that was done well was the one in Serenity. Um, because, but I think that one, I, that one worked because the two sides of ships were so distinctively different. Right. So right. you never yeah. looked at it and be like, was that, who's that? Who's that supposed to be? Like they were so dis- visually distinctive that I think that worked yeah. really well. Well, and the first one that was kind of over the top for me was Return of the Jedi, you know, with, with just sort yeah. of all the, the, like a whole slew of ships fly into a whole slew of other ships, sort of like they do on the battlefields in, in Game of Thrones and that kind of stuff. But I got to say, this is the point I was, I was leading to, is that I think the charm of the original series was whenever Kirk or Scotty or Chekhov would lose their temper, you know, and the Klingons and the, the Federation would drop the gloves mm-hmm. and they would start, you know, a full Donnybrook or a full tilt, right? And they would start fighting. And it was clearly not the same actors doing the fighting. Yeah. You'd see William Shatner kind of like, you know, lean into somebody and then you'd see some overweight guy with a bad wig and a yellow <laughs> captain shirt. Wait, are you sure that wasn't Shatner? Doing, positive. You know, but, but, doing, but doing the whole sort of the rolls around, you know, we do all these, and they used to do this in Westerns too, where, you know, you know, in Gunsmoke or whatever, it wasn't, you know, Ben Gazzara and, and uh, yeah. Michael Landon doing the fighting. It was always some other guy or somebody falling off a horse or whatever, you know. Yep, it yep. was clearly just the stage hand or the stunt guy, you know, in yep. a bad wig, right? I mean, that was, you know, I mean, in retrospect, you know, you can't, it, it, you really had to suspend disbelief to believe that was actually Kirk and, and whoever he was fighting at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but that, Some guy in a Gorn costume? Yeah, it's like, but that that kind of, yeah, rubber rubber suit, right? But the, that kind of had charm in a sense, you know? I mean, it was hokey, but you, but you, it, it didn't, it didn't affect the storytelling, mm-hmm. right? The fact that it wasn't really the guy, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, so like, like I know all this, this attention to detail and special effects and rendering and all that kind of stuff that we do now. I mean, I got to say that the space scenes in, in Discovery are just amazing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just, I just sometimes go back and look at them and, you know, I take shots for, 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 for with my camera to sort of, you know, for feature images that we'll use on, on in, when we publish. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, that, that kind of looks nice. And, and the, the effect where the, the, what do they call it? The quantum jump or quantum, what do they do? The, the sport drive or sport drive, right? Yeah. yeah. When, when it does that sort of, you know, spinny around thing. I mean, that's hokey in a sense too, but, but it's, it's, it's interesting to look at, right? You know, and the way they pop in and pop out when they come in and out of warp drive and that kind of stuff. Those, those are neat effects, but I just don't need, 
like and, and even like the fight between Culber and, and Ash. To be honest with you, I didn't even watch it. I just sort of I just put my head down and wrote some notes for the show and Yeah. Oh, is it over yet? Okay, cool, I can watch the show again, you know? Yeah, I thought his fight scenes go that one was interesting because it's two of the least likely it was a an unlikely scenario for a fight. You yeah. kinda wanna see how it's gonna play out. But uh Well you can sort of see that Ash was was uh, Ash who looked to me like he probably could kick that guy's ass is oh, yeah. just is just holding back, right? Yep. Because that's what he says to him and we didn't say this. So he says, Bring out Voke. I wanna I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna talk to Voke for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's and uh, Ash says that's not how it works, right? Yep. So and apparently he's a Klingon glued to human bones or something like that, I think somebody says at one point in the show. Yeah. 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 But I mean like you know, like again, the this 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 um the Orville growing its beard as as Jaime called it last week. Um or I guess folks on Reddit called it. Uh it was interesting, you know, but you know, and, and, and again, yeah, okay. It was an episode. It was it was a two parter. <laughs> yeah. You know, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. It did. It did. And again, you know, again, the criticism of this show just keeps coming back around. I don't dislike the show. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy some of the characters. I think, you know, where I felt like Star Trek Next Generation started to get its legs and where I think I want to see the show go if it continues to be aired is that I would like to see evolution for these characters. I would like to see more depth. I would like to see more uh, more lasting effects. We saw a cumulative effect on some of these characters and the experiences that they had. Um, you know, it still feels a little bit, um, just a little bit too sanitary. Like, as you say, there's, yeah. there's no edges in this universe, but the, the edges are what help us, you know, polish and get growth. And, you know, like you, if you, you know, if there's no conflict, if there's no sort of, you know, lasting emotional uh, effects to whatever happens, positive or negative, you know, again, eventually it just becomes, well, there's no consequences, then what's the point in investing, right? Yeah, every now and then Ed and, and Kelly have to snap at each other, like, because that's the reality of, of relationships, right? Um, yeah. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you get that close together? And then, you know, I don't think he's disciplined enough to be that, that, you know, that calm, calm and cool and collected, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not if, if, if you, the very first episode, they establish he's, you know, he's a, you know, he's a party boy, right? Yep. So, um, yeah. 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 So. No, again, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. This was a step forward. I feel like it was definitely uh, an improvement over what we've seen so far this season. There was a lot more there, there. Um, let's, let's see how they can carry that momentum forward. And if it, it does sort of, you know, start well, to build. Ever, will they ever bring up this whole episode, this whole episode with, with, uh, the Kalon, right? Will they ever, will they ever mention, you know, that, you know, will they ever have distrust for, um, for Isaac? I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, when, um, when, uh, Saru lost his, uh, his, uh, ganglia, right? He's now no longer the same guy. Yeah. They all seemed really eager to forgive Isaac because he did sort of betray his people. But at the same time, like he's still <laughs> directly responsible for some deaths. Like, yeah, yeah, it's true. I don't know. It, it's again, it's, it's the problem with these kind of shows. It was a problem with the original, um, you know, Star Trek and TNG and so many other sci-fi shows is that, you know, you don't want to alienate people by changing the characters they love, but you also want to, you know, tell good stories. And then how yeah. do you, you know, how do you continue from that to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, great writers have done it in the past. So we'll see how they go from here. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard the criticism about Star Trek, um, the original series, because I, you know, I remember when I was like a teenager in my twenties, I heard once that you know Star Trek's purpose was to spread U.S. democracy throughout the universe, right? Yeah, because that sort of seemed to be the the solution to every problem. Was well, in the United States, we have this you know system of government, and yeah, you should adopt it, and you know, like you should you 
should, you know, judge people based on the sort of doctrines of the American democracy. In fact, there's even an episode where the, the people are not knowingly, you know, reciting the, the Declaration of Independence and, you know, they have an American flag and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that episode, but, you know, the Federation was, was definitely, I mean, that was, like I said, one of the one of the criticisms of the show in that time period. And this is before Next Generation came along, that, that it was basically just, you know, American philosophy or American, what do you call it? Um, Propaganda? Culture. <laughs> culture. Being, huh? Propaganda? Propaganda. Well, American culture sort of, you know, the, like, let's fix everything by just, you know, having the the good side of American democracy, right? Mm-hmm. So send your letters to Podcast <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Propaganda? We look, forward to your, we look forward to your letters, as Greg Ferguson used to say. That's it. All right. Let's move on to our watch list, because uh, time's a-wasting. All righty. So uh, I saw this this week, and it, it, it definitely uh, made, made me it made me happy. Uh, we've got our first trailer for Happy Season 2, which is uh, coming out on March 26th. Seventh, that's for Jaime. Um, so uh, obviously, last season uh, followed mostly the story from the original miniseries comic book. Um, this one uh, seems like it's obviously going somewhere new. There wasn't, as far as I know, there hasn't been a sequel comic book, so they're kind of off into new directions. Um, and well, they're off book now. They're off book, um, but it's uh, same sense of humor, same uh, you know, obviously uh, you know, great funny gross uh um very very adult humor um it it just looks it looks so good i cannot wait it was definitely one of my very favorite series uh when it came out last year okay i guess it started in in december 2017 but most of it was last year and uh it definitely was one of the series that i was really excited about and it's sort of it as some of these shows go it had sort of slipped off the radar because it had been a while um it you know i think it was last january that it wrapped up but uh uh, seeing that character again, seeing the little flying blue unicorn and uh, Chris Maloney acting like a maniac, and uh, it just it just killed me. The trailer killed me, and I cannot wait to see this this coming up. It's very interesting. I enjoyed that show too. Yeah, uh, yeah. and the other thing that I got to throw on the list, of course, is Captain Marvel. The uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is back. Uh, you and That's I time for International Women's Day. You and I uh, tomorrow night with uh, our number one fan will be celebrating uh, International Women's Day by going and watching Captain. Captain Marvel. We'll go watch uh, a very talented actress ply her trade and uh, and and, throw and Nick little... Fury with two eyes. Nick Fury with two eyes and a de-aged Clark Gregg and uh, and yeah, Clark Gregg is who? Uh, Coulson. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he's an same actor. Or just same, a... yeah, same actor being de-aged the same way that they de-aged uh, uh, Samuel Jackson for this too. Oh, right. Yeah, and they and they aged uh, apparently they aged um, uh, for Logan. What's his name? Oh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, they did the same sort of thing with him. With his face yeah so it'll be interesting to see how those effects go and uh and see how this movie plays out and uh, yeah. obviously a lot of hype and and this will obviously serve as a little precursor for uh avengers endgame too so uh, maybe we'll get a little more of a taste of how she fits into the big picture here so yeah, yeah. very excited about that mm-hmm. yeah interesting but, the, 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 speaking of, on the sidebar here the, the sort of deep fakey kind of thing i don't know if you've heard that they're doing a holographic frank zappa tour no much like they did with um of course, I have no interest in it. Um, well, mild interest in it, I guess. Well, you but, saw the uh, real thing, did you not? I saw the real thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and I've seen this 
on a number of times too. I've seen the progeny of the real thing several mm-hmm. times. Um, but I saw a, 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 like a, a commercial or something like that on Facebook or something the other day where they've taken Frank Zappa's face and they've actually animated much like they did with Barack Obama and those sort of oh the deep fake stuff. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't hear the voiceover or whatever, but I saw the the moving fi- and I just looked at it and went, "That's a photograph that I have seen a thousand times before." And here it is: the lips are moving, the eyes are blinking, and you know, no, sorry, <laughs> not you know, just just looks weird, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. interesting. Those are very weird. So my uh, my two picks are um, uh, for the watch list are one is uh, James Burke. Now this is, goes back to the to the sort of launch of the Apollo stuff and and uh, that kind of things. We're watching a it's the 50th anniversary of of the landing of Apollo 11 on the moon. Mm-hmm. And um, so they they showed uh, episode connections ep- season one episode eight. Uh, a gentleman named James Burke was sort of the David Suzuki of of science in Britain. And I don't know if you ever, have you ever seen Connections, Jonathan? I don't think so. It, they did it three iterations of it. There was Connections, Corrections Squared, and there's a third one. In in so we we were talking about this on the podcast uh, more than just code last night. So it started in the 70s, late 70s. They did it again in the 90s, and then again 94 and then 96. The guy came back and did a couple more episodes. It's like how all the bits of science, like how do you go from like, you know, discovering one thing to, to something else? And it kind of starts off with like, maybe you'll, you'll start off telling a story about, you know, Galileo and end up with, you know, ice cream or how ice cream is being made today. And it's kind of like all, how all the science and the chemistry and the physics and the biology all call it, go from one point A to point B and all the discoveries along the way and make connections, you know, from hmm. one thing to another. Um, but in this particular vignette I've got here, it's a really interesting um, clip and it ties in with the launch of Apollo 11 and Saturn V going to the moon. He talks about how, you know, Werner von Braun came up with the idea of, of using hydrogen gas in its liquid form and oxygen in its liquid form combining the two to create combustion enough to lift a heavy giant rocket off the off the, the planet. And, you know, we both watched the Apollo 11 thing. And you, you remember how long it took for the thing to get up into space? Oh, yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, it was like a lo- lot of weight. Those, those, those launchers didn't, like the shuttle used to just sort of bounce up into space, whereas the Saturn V used to, you know, couple of minutes to get up into the up into the stratosphere right anyway so in this clip though he's walking along the length of a saturn v talking all along about the whole mixing of oxygen and hydrogen together to make this gas and that you can see a launch pad off in the distance behind him and he says you know the, the if you mix the gas in the right combination you'll end up with that and he points back at the launch pad as the rocket is taking off huh. so he had like one chance to get it right you know yeah so watch this clip it's pretty interesting it, it's actually in two pieces, but but yeah, just the, the fact that he times his delivery in such a way as to point at the rocket as it blasts off, you know. That's cool. Yeah, so that was the kind of science he used to do on that show. Yeah. My other pick is, and of course, by the time I'm pretty sure that today's March 7th, I think today's the last day to see Apollo 11, the Ma- the IMAX experience. Oh, because it's going to be replaced with Captain Marvel and all the theaters. Well, that and, and I think it was only planned to be on for a short little while, but uh, the um, so, I mean, I, I would still recommend going seeing it in a regular theater because it, it's amazing you got to have big sound you got to have uh you know big uh, big uh, splashy stuff to, to make it look good right yeah i think it, this one would be still a very good documentary to watch if you had a nice um television at home but the impact yeah. of seeing this footage which is is so beautiful it's it's better than anything i've ever seen about that era um right. the quality of the footage the, the the film that they used um and the way that they put it together the experience of seeing that on a big screen and feeling the blast off and feeling yep. you know the shaking of the sh- the ships and stuff really impacting like especially as yep. you say that that the scene where they start the rocket and they they do sort of the you know the the 
launch as it starts to take off Apollo 11, it is just absolutely gripping tel- uh, movie watching. It is really, really, really well done. Well, it used to be pretty amazing watching these things launch. I used to watch all the launches when I was a kid, right? Yeah, and I used to watch the shuttle launches. Obviously, Apollo was a little before my time. Uh, I used to watch the shuttle launches, but the shuttle, as you say, it seemed a much more um, fluid process. This one, you just, you had this sense of like, these people are insane. They have strapped themselves to something that Wiley Coyote would be afraid of. Like Exactly, it, yeah. It just gives you a sense of, like, and again, the, the, one of the great scenes, um, I don't think it's a spoiler, so but I'll throw it out there. One of the great scenes is when they basically bring the astronauts to the to the shuttle launch area, and then they basically have to take a series of, of elevators to get up the different levels, to get up to the yeah. top, to strap themselves in. And one of the shots is basically of you are in the elevator that is going up parallel to the rocket, and it's just going and going and going and going. And you're like, wow, that's a long way up. And then you realize that's the first elevator. Like, it's, right, it's yeah. insane. Like, the fact that these, like, honestly, I, I mean, I never, never for a second did I not think that these were not um, very, very brave human beings to, to choose to do this. But when you see the sort of relative, you know, perspective on these things, you're like, oh my gosh, these are like, this, these people are demented to have done this. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and then, you know, through the whole thing, they're calling out their heart rates and they're like, yeah, they're a little bit agitated, but they're, they're doing fine. Like, you know, any given person would be having a coronary just like standing next to this thing. Yeah. Well, even landing on the moon, like the, 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 the story is that apparently like, you know, he was coming, they were coming down on where they were supposed to land. And Neil Armstrong looked out the side and saw, saw boulders the size of Volkswagens Yeah, and said, screw it. I'm flying over this and grabbed the stick and went manual and flew yep. over top of it. They landed with like six seconds of gas left, Yep, you know, and, and meanwhile, his heart rate was 150 beats per minute, you yep. know, like yep. he was like, he was in another zone altogether. He was like, he was like a pro athlete at that point. Oh, absolutely. The, like this is, it's funny because it's a great analogy. You know, they always talk about how in those moments of deepest, you know, stress and everything else, how, how the Michael Jordans and the Wayne Gretzky's and these truly elite athletes, uh, everything just sort of slows down and they sort of see the scenario and they can play it out. In those moments, you start realizing like these are exceptional human beings. Like they yeah. are the, 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 the crazy zen- ones. Yeah. They're the zenith of these types of human beings. Like the, they really are a special thing. Like it wasn't just like they randomly picked out Neil Armstrong. We're like, you've got a cool name. You should be the first guy who steps on the moon. Like this is a very special, you know, group of, of individuals that were able to, to carry out a mission that was, you know, in a trillion ways could have failed spectacularly. Yeah, and a few times, true, yeah. you know, as you say, in the, in the movie, they actually, uh, I thought was really interesting is, is, you know, they show the touchdown when they're landing. So you're getting closer, 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 closer. And then they, they do sort of, you see that they're going to land somewhere not good. And then they overshoot that and they land. And then he says, you know, yeah, I had to go, you know, manual for a second there because it was going to put us down in the middle of this, you know, really nasty area. Um, I thought the most fascinating part of the whole thing was when they started talking about how um, we always hear the clip of, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But to hear everything that happened before it and everything that happened after it as they... That was a pretty big step. Yeah. Like, it was really interesting to sort of, you know, as he's slowly climbing down the ladder, as he puts his first foot down, as he... as he He's describing... His he's just, before he steps off the limb, he's just describing how it looks. Because they were, they were expecting... The ladder was three feet off the ground because they thought they might sink into the surface, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. They had no idea. They had no idea. Nope. Nope. You know? it's, it's so fascinating to sort of realize, like, how wildly adventurous this was. Like, this 
was a sci-fi story come to life. These people were, you know, treading on something that they, you know, only had the basic understanding of in some ways, you know, like it, right, right. absolutely fascinating. I, I, honestly, one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had uh, watching a documentary and, and, and seeing an IMAX picture. It was, it was well, really, really cool. Go, everybody says it like a hundred, hundred tomatoes, hundred percent run rotten tomatoes, apparently. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, I mean, and to me, the, the, the cool things are, I mean, like uh, people don't understand this. Like I, I really get upset with people who say that they faked the whole moon landing and stuff like oh, that. But, but yeah. I mean, like if you think about it, they, they did one, I always wondered about this when I was a kid, why did they only do one spacewalk? It was only a two hour spacewalk or 90 minutes or something like that. Right. Yep. But literally as you watched it, like he, he picked up one sample of rocks and he put it into his pocket. Yep. Like they were told go to the moon, land on the moon. Hopefully you survive, plant yep. the flag, pick up a rock, put a couple of experiments down and get the hell out of there. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I didn't really have a perspective now. So they do their, their spacewalk. It lasts for a short period of time. Then they climb back inside the, the lander and they have a snooze. They have a snooze. And then, uh, yeah. And then basically like, then, you know, their ride shows up, they blast off, they meet the thing, they drop up, they get out of that thing, they eject it and they head back towards earth. They, they do one lap around the moon to build some momentum and then, then off they go. It's funny. Like, you know, I, and I was talking about that with, uh, with our number one fan afterwards that, you know, it's so funny because you, you realize how, you know, far away it is when they do the slingshot around the earth and they head there and it takes days and days and days three for days, them to get three there. Or three, days, yeah. three or four days for them to get to the moon. Then they slowly decelerate and then they uh, they separate the two pieces. The the lander goes down. They drop down. They go there. They get back up. They go and then they turn around and they go right back. Like the mission, the whole mission was nine days. They were on the moon for, yeah, a matter of hours of that. It, it's, it's so funny. You don't really, again, uh, seeing it in that way, I've read the story of, of the lunar landing. I've seen previous documentaries, but this one really sort of captured the, you know, the totality of the mission, I think, better than some of the stuff I've seen in the past. Um, and because it was presented without, um, you know, they used Walter Cronkite doing some of the radio broadcasts. They used the, uh, you know, a few of the, the conversations they were having back with, you know, mission control and stuff like that, but they didn't have any kind of narration. They didn't have any kind of, you know, real sort of explanation of who's who and what's what. It was really kept very, like, you're a fly on the wall through a lot of this. And very, very impactful. Very, very well done. Yeah, it's an amazing documentary. And, and like, you know, it's, if you, if you, I mean, I know most of the astronauts' names because when I was, these were, these were the people, this is what I was into when I was like seven, eight years, nine years old, right? Mm -hmm. But like, you know, um, Carly Duke was the guy on Capcom because Capcom was the person, the only person who could talk to the astronauts was another astronaut, mm -hmm. right? And, and they had one guy sitting in the chair who was the only person who could speak to them. And because he's the one that says, you know, you got a bunch of guys down here turning blue or just yeah. holding our breaths, you know? Yeah. That's Charlie Duke. But if you, it, there's another scene where, you know, you see uh, another astronaut, say Fred Hayes was sitting there. Fred Hayes was one of the guys that was stuck in Apollo th uh, 13 that didn't get to land on the moon. Yep. He sits in the chair for a bit. You see Jim Lovell and mm -hmm. uh, and um, the other guy, um, the other guy from Apollo 13. You see them in the movie too. And yep. in the audience watching the pl the blast off, you see Johnny Carson and yeah, a bunch yeah. of other famous, you know, American, you know, newscasters and stuff like that. Yep. It was as really well done. I mean, like it was, it was, I mean, and, and the entire world stopped to watch this. This wasn't, you know, one of the criticisms about the first man movie is they didn't show the putting up of the flag in that movie. And it's, and it, because the landing of the man on the moon was, was a, a human achievement. It wasn't about, it was in Americans clearly, but it wasn't about America taking over the moon. It was about mankind making it to the moon. It was a Magellan. It was like, like Columbus. It's like watching them land on, on, you know, the shores of, of North America. Right. Or, 
getting around the world. No, it was uh, it was it was really 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 impactful, really really well done, and and again the quality like I've never yeah, seen. I've, I've I've watched you know lots of footage. I'm, I'm sure you've seen more than I have. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's always presented as very grainy and very sort of low quality. Yeah. The, some of this was so vivid, like it was yeah. astonishing how vivid it was. Well, it the Blu-ray felt- for all mankind is like that because they went and got the original footage and they they thawed it and rescanned it for the making of they remade the Criterion people remade um, for all mankind using mm-hmm. original footage. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that in the theater. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies too. Is mm-hmm. is for all mankind with the, the bright you know, soundtrack and oh, that was the other thing too. All did you notice all the instruments that they used were instruments from the time period. So yeah. they had Moog synthesizers and theremins and mm-hmm. pianos and guitars. It was all like there was not none of the you no know, nothing. You know, John Williams did not do the score for this movie. <laughs> you know, no. nor did Brian Eno for that matter. Right? No, 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 no. It was great. Yeah. Again, uh, we we highly recommend whether you have to see it on a regular screen. If you can still see it in the theater, go see it in the theater. And if you can't, uh, it'll still make for a hell of a rent because it's uh, it's or just, even on Netflix. Really well you have to watch it on Netflix, but do, do watch it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So I guess Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right, and I am Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A, and the Twitter is the best place to, place to find me. So until next week, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. Kenichiwa, Jaime. <laughs> yeah. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spockcast. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was dropping some j- Japanese on us yesterday on the show. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's got his Japanese down. Yeah, he's and he's got the pronunciation down too, which is really interesting. Well, you never know. He could have been watching the undubbed uh, uh, anime for years too. Well, yeah, I think that's. I think part of his part of his uh, his respect for that art form leads him to pronounce the words correctly. So yeah. But you know, if I if we weren't doing the podcast, I'd be watching Apollo Eleven right now in the IMAX. Yeah, you go see it again. I would. Yeah, just because it's like you're not going to get a chance to do that again, right? It's true. It's true. That's true. Yep. yep. Yeah, a friend of mine went to see the uh, um, Captain Marvel in the 2D experience today. So Ooh. is it in 3D or 2D tomorrow? Uh, I believe it's 3D. I think it's Ultra AVX 3D. Oh, Ultra AVX. Okay, yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, we'll have to see how it goes. Yep. Again, I've seen some reviews so far. People say it's a little bit, you know, all over the place, but still good. So we'll see. Mm. But isn't that the story? Isn't, isn't part of the thing that she loses her memory? Or whatever, from what I can get her from the clips or whatever. 
Yeah, I've she's... probably seen too much. I've seen too much already. Some of the spoiler stuff that, for me, you know. It'll be interesting to see sort of which iteration of these um, characters they do too, because the um, you know Captain America, uh, Captain America, Captain Marvel has been a character that has existed in different iterations um, mm-hmm. over the years. It'll be interesting to see sort of which which pieces they pick out to take, um, and obviously some of it's rewritten again in the um, the older version of these stories. You know, she had a military career. Obviously, they seem like they was she always that. a woman. Like, um, so the original Captain Marvel from the comic books was a man, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, who was actually a guy named Marvel. Um, okay. In yeah, in this case, um, I think they're going to forgo that sort of part mm. of it. Um, but I, again, I think they're sort of going to draw like at this point, as with so many of these characters, right? Like you know, Iron Man. Iron Man was a character created in the 1960s that was supposed to reflect. Um, um, you know, a guy who's a, a you know war warmonger yep. basically, who mm-hmm. you know gets injured in you know a war set in the 1960s. You can decide where that is. Um, you know, <laughs> they update that by the time they get to making a movie in like you know 2009. They're like, oh well, okay, obviously in 2009 we can't have him be a you know Vietnam War profiteer. Let's have right. him be you know in- invested in the war in the Middle East. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, and they're drawing off of 50 years worth of story lines at that point they can tell well captain marvel's gonna be the same thing they're, they're gonna basically take pick and choose the things they like from 50 years worth of storytelling again the, mm-hmm. the character of carol danvers who is captain marvel um in the comic books has been around for since the 70s um and she's had a bunch of different iterations she was known as a few different other names she was ms marvel for a while there then she was a different character and then eventually she became captain marvel and mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of reconcile all these different storylines into one cohesive thing and maybe that's where people are uh, a little not sure what to expect but right right yep already all right well i will see you tomorrow night captain marvel it up for sure all right bye bells on okay bye you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.